nice to be here. It's awesome to see uh, so many mothers around. Um, and, and yeah, I, my first memory of Mother's Day was, um, it was at Paradise Community Church back in the day, big church. I was, um, I got, me and three other like five-year-olds were sitting in these massive chairs on the stage um, having to say good things about our mum. And mum was in the front row somewhere. But these chairs, like, they were massive. Like, I could, like, hide in the corner. But I just remember being really excited to, like, say good things about mum because I loved mum as a kid. Um, <laughs> not anymore, just as a kid. Um, no, but, so, like, yeah, and <laughs> I, was, I was so excited. I remember sitting on the chair. I was, like, strutting. I, I was definitely confident. And um, I sat on the chair, and the lady who was hosting it asked the first question, comes up to me, to answer, I'd take a deep breath, I like, and then I just freaked out, and, and I started crying, I was bawling my eyes out, I hid in the corner of the chair, because it was that big, I could like hide in it, and, um, and the whole segment went on without me, <laughs> they were just answering like, the three other kids were answering the questions well, I'm sure, I don't remember it, but um, got to the end, and then I was like, alright, I've got to do this, I've got to say something nice about mum, so everyone was walking off, but I ran, took the mic, said something good, and, um, and then I got a lollipop at the end, so it was, it was good, but it was also a little bit uh, traumatic, <laughs> we, we got there. I was actually going to get a few people up to do that today, but I think for the sake of time, we'll, we'll wait. But we have been learning about spiritual practices uh, at the moment, of course, that's the series we're in, and um, the verse, who remembers the verse that we've been focusing on? No, you can't say it. <laughs> Anyone know? Yeah, 1 Peter 3, 8 to 9. We'll read it again. I've got it on the screen. If Seema, you could go on the slides. But finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we're here today. Um, we thank you that um, we can share uh, around, around your gospel. And I just thank you that you're here with us, you're here with our mothers, you're here with our families. And I just pray that you go before me and guide my words and that um, I, can, I can share your heart today. In your name I pray, amen. All right. We're talking about being tender-hearted. Everyone say tender-hearted back. You can... You can go on that slide, uh, we'll, we'll get to that, but you can read it for now. But um, in the, let's, let's talk about being tender-hearted. Um, it's, it's a pretty simple, like, be tender-hearted. This, like, we have to dig into the meaning of it, right? Um, so so let's, let's do that. Being tender-hearted today is probably defined as, like, having a kind or uh, sentimental nature. Maybe you're gentle, easily moved to love, pity, or sorrow. Um, you guys weren't meant to see that slide yet. So, um, but, but you know, today's idea of being tender-hearted is just like you're empathetic, you're sympathetic, you're, um, you're like easily moved. And, um, and that's great. And I think there's a lot of people in this room that strike me as that sort of tender-hearted. But I've taken a leaf out of Damien's book, jumped on Bible Hub. Uh, I remember that sermon like a year ago <laughs> where, you, where you just told us oh, how to use Bible Hub. <laughs> and that was like the message. Um, but I've taken a look at the, the root meaning of the word, and 
the word tenderhearted has much deeper meaning than what we see today, and you're all going to love this because this word is amazing. Um, the Greek word for tenderhearted is yushplaknos. Yushplaknos. Everyone say that back. Yushplaknos. You got to do that. Shplach. <laughs> Bring it out. Um, so, yushplaknos. The U means well, and shplachnon means bow. Um, yeah. Why? <laughs> Um, it's a good question. The prefix you um, kind of qualifies the emotions as being positive. But bow, in ancient cultures, of course, it was thought that the gut or the bow was where we felt our deepest, most tender emotions. Think of the butterflies in your stomach from a first kiss or the nerves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or, the, or the nerves you feel in the waiting room for a job interview that you really want to get. Um, is a metaphor for the place we feel our most visceral emotions. It quite literally, this word quite literally means a feeling of compassion in our bowels or our guts. Yushplaknos um, is one of the strongest Greek words to express compassionate love. It takes the idea of being compassionate towards others and pushes it to reflect a feeling deep in our guts. A gnawing, I, I read this word all the time, gnawing, gnawing? Gnawing, that's so weird. Um, a gnawing, yearning pain for someone else in their time of need. So being compassionate, it pushes it that step further, to be moved in our guts in compassion towards others. What does that mean for us? To be honest, I'm not sure compassion is a strong enough word to sum up tenderheartedness. Plenty of times I feel compassionate about, uh, towards a difficult situation, um, of a friend, maybe it's a situation abroad. Like, for example, the situation in India right now is, is um, really awful and, and quite, quite tough to, to read about, and I feel heaps of compassion towards it. But do I feel a deep... Uh, do I feel moved in my gut um, to, to do more? Do I feel a deep pain in my gut that leaves me restless um, and unable to find peace? Um, I'd love to think I do, but I probably don't. Um, and... A really good quote for this, John Henry Jowett, a famous, famous British Protestant preacher from 120 years ago, says this about tenderheartedness. And it's quite heavy, but I really, really do enjoy it. Sammy, if you could grab the next slide. Tenderheartedness, that carries one step further than compassion. Tenderheartedness is more than correspondence. It is gentle ministry. It includes the service of the tender hands. It not only feels the pain of others, it touches the wounds with exquisite delicacy. Even the pitiful man can be clumsy. Six men may have the sympathy, but only one of the six may be able to touch the wound so as to heal it. The Lord will add a gentle hand to our compassion. He will take away all brusqueness, all spiritual clumsiness, so that in the very ministry of pity we may not break the bruised reed nor quench the smoking flax. That's a lot to take in, but I love the imagery. We can all feel pity for someone hurting, but those who are tender-hearted are able to tend to the wounds and with heavenly guidance help that person in need. Uh, it's, but it's the Lord that adds that gentle hand to our compassion. God takes the sympathetic person and carries them a step further into tender-heartedness and gives us a gives us a deep yearning to love one another. In the early church, this was obvious because yushplaknos 
was not a quality admired by the Roman Empire. It was a cold-hearted world. Um, and the love and tender-hearted nature of early Christians shone through. People, people turned around and thought, these people are different. You had, um, like, the Christians got persecuted because they were standing out. They were, people would look at them and think, these people are crazy. These people are of another world. Why are they acting like this? Why are they loving each, each other, loving others? And I think today, society is similarly cold-hearted. We don't have to look too far to, to see that. But also today, Christians don't often stand out from the cold world that we're in. We live in a post-Christian world, a world that perhaps uh, isn't, we haven't, a lot of young people today my age aren't growing up with Christianity as, as kind of a pillar of the society that they're growing up in. And I'd argue that tender-heartedness is difficult to embody in the rush of society today, the throng of doing. How on earth can you be moved in your gut when every day, or you see, when every day we see suffering and pain and have a lack of time to dwell on it. Yesterday it was deaths in aged care. Today it's India or genocides continuing to take place in Africa. Tomorrow it might be the homeless person you see on your walk to work. We feel helpless that all of this is out of our control. And instead of seeking change in the hearts of many, we ask for comprehensive systems and strategies because we can't trust humans. Humans don't carry this tender-hearted nature where, like, where we can trust them to, to seek out the best for, for each other and the best for, for one another. Um, however, there is one place we do see tender-heartedness. I'll let you think about it. No, we see it in our mothers. Um, and not just literally in the fact that they're moved in, in their gut when giving birth. Um, <laughs> I thought that was good. I thought that was good. Um, no, it, for, exa- for example, and this is perhaps a silly example, but when I was young, I'm the youngest of three, um, and um, Jack and Emma were older than me, and I'll be honest, uh, I felt like I was bullied by them growing up. <laughs> and I th- it, was, it was not like, it was, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was just difficult uh, to, to, to I, I, I reckon I was annoying, but I think their reaction to my annoyingness um, was over the top for how annoying I was being. So, so let's say, like, I, w- I used to sit in the car, and I sat in the middle because I was the smallest. Um, you didn't get a choice. But, like, I remember they used to pinch me. They used to, like, push me and, and stuff like that because I was, like, the wrecking ball in the middle. And um, I was like, how can I, how can I make this easier for myself in the car? I, I'm, I'm really not enjoying being pushed around here. So I was like, all right, I'll think of a game where they can push my head on each side and, um, and whoever had the strongest push would win. So, so they, would, they would push my head on each side and, um, and I, thought I, was, I thought I was smart figuring this out but eventually they get, got a bit stronger and it started to hurt. <laughs> um, but but that, was, um, that was my way of making peace of a, of a difficult situation. Um, <laughs> Uh, for another example, I was, I was like 18 months old and they, was, they were messing around on the trolley. I was in the trolley seat and they flipped it over, landed on my head, went to hospital. Uh, what, turned blue? No, that probably wasn't their fault. That was mum not paying attention. But, <laughs> nah, it was Emma's fault. But they, we were all young. It was an accident. That's fine. But my point, my point is um, it was mum that always picked up the pieces. It was mum that would... Um, 
would come to me and <laughs> she would step in when she saw Emma and Jack going too far. She would, she would pick me up out of that and she would carry me away and um, look after me. And she had a tender heart and you guys, Jack doesn't agree, but, um, but she, genuinely, she genuinely cared about me and she saw my affliction that <laughs> wasn't really that bad looking back on it, but, but <laughs> it, was, it, it toughened me up, so we're good. But my point, my point is, there is a bond between mother and child that calls for a response greater than sympathy when the child's in pain. We see this in the Bible. We see it in Exodus when Moses' Moses's mother, Jochebed, can't bear to see him killed by the Egyptians and with faith hatches a plan to see him saved. We also see it in 1 Kings 3 16 to 28, where King Solomon wisely judges the two women and their child. Um, We're going to read the full thing, and I've got it up here. I am going to read it from the NLT, and I'm going to... My flicking skills are getting better, so this won't take a sec. So just bear with me. I forgot to put it there. All right. Cool. So, sometime later, two prostitutes came to the king to have an argument settled. Please, my lord, one of them began. This woman and I live in the same house. I gave birth to a baby while she was with me in the house. Three days later, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There were only two of us in the house. But her baby died during the night when she rolled over on it. Then she got up in the night and took my son from beside me while I was asleep. She laid her dead child in my arms and took mine to sleep beside her. And in the morning, when I tried to nurse my son, he was dead. It was that I saw it wasn't my son. Uh, But when I looked more closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't my son at all. Then the other woman interrupted. It certainly was your son, and the living child is mine. No, the first woman said, the living child is mine, and the dead one is yours. And so they argued back and forth in front of the king. Then the king said, let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim the living child is yours, and each says that the dead one belongs to the other. All right, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought to the king. Then he said, cut the living child in two and give one half to the woman and one half to the other. Then the woman who was the real mother of the living child and who loved him very much cried out, oh no, my lord, give her the child. Please do not kill him. But the other woman said, all right, He will be neither yours nor mine. Divide him between us. Then the king said, Do not kill the child, but give him to the woman who wants him to live, for she is his mother. When all of Israel heard the king's decision, the people were in awe of the king, for they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. I want to focus, um, if you go to the next slide, Seema, I want to focus on one part of, one verse of that passage. Uh, 1 Kings 3.26. I'll read it in the English Standard Version. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, O Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Um, Aside from the fact that the other woman is a little bit insane, um, (laughs) in the King James Version, it quite literally says, For her bowels yearned upon her son. Or in the New King James Version, for she yearned with compassion for her son. Of course, bowels isn't a relatable term for today's 
communities. So don't expect to see that word used in the NLT or the or more modern versions of the Bible. But she was deeply stirred. And the Hebrew word used in this verse is racham. Racham. Everyone say it out. Racham. Racham. Uh, quite literally meaning quite literally meaning to show tender love and compassion, tender-heartedness. Um, the root of the word refers to the deep love, the gut compassion found or rooted in a natural bond, like childbirth or the love of siblings. We actually also see the same word used uh, in Exodus or Genesis when Joseph, who was sold into slavery and nearly killed by his brothers, f- sees his brothers um, who are desperate for food in the famine and has compassion on them. That word compassion is, is the same word. What Joseph felt for his brothers in that time of their need was the same feeling that the mum felt when her child was, was um, at risk of being cut in half. And we see this here. So thank you, first of all, to, to our mums for, for being tender-hearted and giving us a good example of that. But I want to go a step further. Um, because God shows his children the same tender love. In Psalm 103.13, I've got it at the bottom there, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate, Rachem, to those who fear him, those who live in all field respect and deepest reverence to him. The mother in front of Solomon could not let anything happen to her innocent child. She chose in that moment to make the sacrifice to live without her boy, rather than to see him die. And we see this same tender-heartedness on the cross. Just as the woman loved her son enough to live without him, Jesus loves us enough to make the sacrifice, die in our place, and then defeat death so that we could live. This is where it's exciting because it's clear that through Jesus dying on the cross, he makes available this tender-heartedness that is so countercultural. That is so unbelievable that the world turns around and says, what's going on here? Um, This tenderheartedness is available to us through Jesus dying on the cross. Over and over in the New Testament, we are called brothers and sisters in Christ. um, I believe Paul says it a lot and it's just a a reoccurring theme. And it's not just because we're fellow believers. I mean, it'd be nice, like it's it's not just... uh, Oh, my brother and oh, my sister. Like, there's a there's a genuine there's a genuine bond, and it's it's um, we're quite li- it's because we're quite literally God's children. When God is our Father, and then by definition we're brothers and sisters to each other. We're sons of daughters of the King. So we're in the Old Testament a tender heartedness, a tender love bond may have only been physical and material, like that of Joseph and his brothers or the mother and son before Solomon, Jesus frees us to have this bond with one another. A spiritual bond tied together by our faith and loving relationship with him. It quickly becomes obvious that only through experiencing God's love through the cross, healing and restoring us, uh, only through experiencing God's tender-hearted spirit yearning for us in his gut, reaching out and healing our wounds, only then can we truly be tender-hearted towards one another, towards others. In Ephesians 4.32, Seema, if you get the slide for me, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, 
just as God through Christ has forgiven you. God is calling us to be tender-hearted, to be compassionate, to be forgiving, because through the cross, He has been all of those things for us. I might say that again, because it's, it's a massive point. But God is calling us to be tender-hearted, compassionate, forgiving, because through the cross, He has been all of those things for us. As we've learned, being tender-hearted is not just having a soft heart towards others or being in touch with your emotional side. It's a gut compassion. It's a deep yearning towards others that transforms the way we react and the way we respond. So how can we be truly tender-hearted and take that next step from compassion to acting in service, from having sympathy to being able to touch and heal the wounds? I might get the band back up because we're going to go back into worship soon. But God's transformative power helps. Being touched by the tender-heartedness of our Father who wants to hold us and sustain us is necessary. Having that revelation of what tender-heartedness is by what the Father did for us, it's a, it's having a revelation of God's love for us um, is necessary. But how do we embody that? Day to day, how do we carry the love that God has for us and live it out as brothers and sisters amongst each other? Um, you wouldn't believe it, but I think we need to take a look at our parents. Um, our parents who have gone before us and have a bond with their children that is just incredible. Um, the tender-heartedness of Jochebed, Moses' mother, who wouldn't stand idle and see her son killed at the hands of tyranny. The tender-heartedness of the prodigal son's father going a step further than compassion when his son returned, throwing a party and forgiving and restoring his child, reaching out his gentle hand, careful not to break the bruised reed, careful not to break his son's spirit. The single mother who faced with a reality of life with disadvantage for her child, sacrifices her own future to give their kid a chance to thrive. That's tender-heartedness. A grandmother who, despite the hurt of her children falling short, shows grace and mercy and raises her grandchildren without fuss or favour, laying it all down to break the generational curses over her family. That's tender-heartedness. This might seem heavy, but what gets me, um, what absolutely gets me, in fact, it's what it ruined me the first time I realized this. Um, this is what God did for us. <laughs> this is what God did when we fell short, when we failed. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God yearned for us. God was moved in his gut to respond to us, to, to, to see his, his children falling short, his children failing. He, was, he took... He had compassion towards our struggle, towards our striving, towards our, our failing. And our creator, our sustainer, he sent his very best to die on the cross for a bunch of no-goods that don't measure up, that aren't good enough. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That is the gospel. It's a contradiction that doesn't make sense to the world. That the highest being would reach out into the dust and lift us out, as we just sang. That this all-powerful God would spend his time in the dust with those who have betrayed him. Like not just, not just quickly step in and, and pluck us out, but he goes in 
he, re, he, he hangs around, he waits for us to respond to him, spending his time in the lowest parts of, of the world for us to respond so he can lift us out. Um, it's beautiful. And big, scary gods, I don't know, they don't do that, but parents do. God is, God is a father to us. God is a parent who loves us, who cares for us enough to spend his time waiting for us to respond to him when all we do is exactly what he doesn't want us to do, exactly where, what, what he hasn't called us to do. He has this tender-heartedness towards us and this tender-heartedness is available to us when we realize that to spread out to the world around us. And when we live out this contradiction, this simple gospel as brothers and sisters in Christ, it does more evangelistic good than any door knocking could, than any live stream could. It brings more people to relationship with Jesus than any conference could. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's a living out tender heartedness with our brothers and sisters in Christ, connected by a spiritual bond through Him that breaks chains and breaks ground and shows people a love that just doesn't make sense to the world. Doesn't, it's not what they've been taught. It's not what they've believed. It's maybe not what their parents showed them growing up because they, most people nowadays don't know God and His love and how great that is when you experience it. We can bring that to people with tenderheartedness, with love. And I just believe that that's what that's what tonight, today is going to be about, about discovering this tender-heartedness for ourselves so that we could live it out in our families, in our communities, in the places that need this compassion, this, this yearning in our gut to, to spread to others. And we're going to sing simple gospel. And um, if we could all stand to our feet, that would be awesome. But let's cry out for the tender-heartedness that God felt when He sent His only Son to die on the cross. Let's cry out for the tender-heartedness that we could lay it all down to support each other as brothers and sisters, daughters and sons in Christ. A tender-heartedness made available to us, God's children, when Jesus died on the cross and tore the veil in two. This tender-heartedness is here right now for us to experience. And I just want to encourage you, just cry out, just this, just sing this with, with zeal, with a, with a spirit that wants to see people loved by God, that wants to see people restored into relationship with each other and with our Father that cares for us so deeply, that loves us so deeply. So we're going to sing this and I just encourage you to, to yell it out, to, to praise in whatever way feels, feels good to you, but just to ask God, um, ask God, for his tender-heartedness. Ask God for his soft spirit to move in your life and make a difference in those around you.